I'll tell you what, the sunshine to me is like, you know, Ken keeps, you know, Ken's always on the calendar, you know, and his thing is, I think uh, when we get past the shortest day of the year for him, that's the first day of spring, which, you know what, I like that. I'm good with it. And then as soon as we have a couple days of uh, slight warming trend or just a little sunshine to him, it's spring. And, and again, I like the attitude. So let's stay with that. We're we're on the cusp of spring. My wife Susan's favorite day is June 21st because it's the longest day of the year, I think. I actually, uh, I don't really... uh, Actually, that's the day before my birthday in case you guys are saving up. Right. But I also kind of hate it because I hate thinking that that early in what I see as summer, we're already getting shorter days. Well, she she sits out on the porch and uh, enjoys herself with a couple adult beverages. Okay. Uh, The year that we went down to Australia, uh, we went in June, and so she got two shortest uh, days of the year oh, that year. Wouldn't have thought of that. She she still feels that she was cheated. So, <laughs> so let me think. Your wife got to go to Australia and she felt she was cheated. Yes. What is that? Never mind. I won't even go there. I love Susan. Susan, if you're listening, don't just ignore where I was going with that. <laughs> so you treated her to what? Something on the other side of the equator the next June? Is that? Uh, no, no. I mean, she's just going to have to get it out. Okay. Yesterday, we tried to get some discussion in play here regarding housing, both the mechanical side, and we get so many questions on that, and the legal side, and the future side, and the pricing side. I want to continue that with you guys today, if that's okay. Sure. Um, yesterday, I mentioned that our friend, the economist over our bowtie economist, Elliot Eisenberg, had commented on existing inventory of residential homes. It's currently at a low in the United States. No surprise there. Is there a legitimate housing shortage in this country? Yes. We've been saying it for 13 years, and and I think NAHB was saying it before we did, even back in 2008. Yep. So there is a legitimate housing shortage. Are we ever going to catch up? And and I'm not being facetious with that. That'd be tough, tough, isn't it? That's a tough question. It is. Um, One of the things right now that's happening in a lot of parts of the state lack of land to build on right okay lack of land for developers um and so that is certainly going to retard uh housing here in michigan and how about the difficulty in the high risk in getting land developed if you can find it oh yeah that's you know land everybody thinks well they got this piece of land they don't think about the carrying costs so what it costs to own it the cost to own it what you're paying in taxes what you're paying in interest on the loan if you took out a loan. Um, and so a lot of people think, well, it's, it's fine if it takes two, three years for a developer to get the development approved. That's not a problem. Uh, but it really is. And it contributes to the, as I said, regulations cost about 30% of the cost of a finished home. Sure. And that uh, helps increase that cost of home. It contributes to it hugely. I remember several months ago, we were talking with a gentleman, uh, Pat, I don't know if you got a chance to meet David Campo, a builder developer with uh, the Building Industry Association. I know Lee, you yeah. knew David, but he, he kind of put some context to that when he, when he talked about some lots he had developed and was ready to put up for sale and you know the, the immense amount of money and time and effort and energy it took to get them developed and then the recession hit and nobody's going to buy them. So he's sitting on all that debt plus the land and, like you said, the carrying costs for years before somebody wanted to come in and buy them and then build a house on them. So I think that's a valid. How about the idea that uh, people are, in the words of Elliot, decamping (laughs) to suburbia, leaving the cities and we're seeing more uh, outward growth? Any any evidence to support that nationally? We we go back to the old smart growth movement. (laughs) That's what made me laugh when I said it. And everybody said, oh, my God, everybody's going to move to the cities and the suburbs are going to be abandoned. And what you're finding out, and this isn't political, Okay, but back when that was going on, people were going to move to the cities for the closeness with the neighbors and the transportation, and we'll have light rail and we'll have all these things. And not only did they not appear in most places, they were counterproductive when COVID hit. 
And now with the fact that everybody has been working from home pretty much for, I don't know, 367, 368 days of March. Uh, We've rediscovered we don't need all that. Exactly. What's going to happen to all that infrastructure? Will any of that... Those commercial uh, brick and mortar places be turned into housing. <laughs> I mean, well, what's going to really? What's going to happen? We don't know. Yeah, we don't. I, do I we? mean, we we have several members of the association that specialize in turning schools into other use, adaptive use of schools, adaptive use of uh, commercial space. But yeah. really, when you when you look at that, and it's not just in Michigan; it's everywhere. Take right. New York City. So many jobs have left New York City. And they're finding out that they don't need to be in the city with its high prices um, to do their job. And they can do LA, that job New just York. as well from yeah. home. It's going to be interesting to see how that progresses and what will happen to the brick and mortar, isn't it, over time? I, yeah. I think that's going to be kind of a fascinating thing for us to just maybe keep our finger on the pulse of that as, as we move forward. But there is a housing shortage. There is a housing shortage, And indeed. despite the affordability of mortgage money, People still can't. We see people that are renting two-bedroom, three-bedroom apartments for sixteen hundred dollars, eighteen hundred dollars, two thousand dollars a month. You go, oh my gosh, you could buy a lot of house for that, but they can't find the housing or they can't come up with the down payment. Well, yeah, and it's a little bit of both. Okay, um, you have to find housing that that is obtainable for you. Exactly, and there is a lack of that around. Yep. Um, we talked yesterday a little bit about the fact that. Uh, the median price for a new home in Michigan is three hundred and fifteen thousand dollars, and that nearly twenty two thousand excuse me two million five hundred thousand people can't afford that house at that price, let alone the uh, people that are priced out of it when it goes up by a thousand dollars and that's significant that's significant in just about every community that thousand dollar price increase is the proverbial straw that can break the camel's back right because people go what's a thousand dollars you're spending 250 what's an extra thousand but everybody's got a, a ceiling that they can't go above right correct i, I cannot spend they, they more don't than have whatever the income to yeah. qualify for the mortgage and i remember nahb publishing statistics on that decades ago they said for every thousand dollars uh, that the price of a house goes up, a hundred thousand potential buyers are lost in the national marketplace. Yeah. And I don't know if that's still valid or not. But I, it it's, it's actually larger than that, and I'm sorry I didn't bring that report with me, but I did bring the Michigan equivalent. Uh, Mr. Kelly, before we went to break, uh, you, you did some homework last night. We I, sent you out of the studio yesterday and I said, did. You got work to do, son. Uh, he made me dive into a bottle Who's last that? night. Uh, a nice man by the name of John, who was an engineer that called in yesterday. Okay. And he was asking the question about the power grid. We went to all high efficiency. And I, the, part of the equation that John and I didn't get to talk about, and again, I could talk to him for hours, part of the, the equation was, you know, the, the building just keeps going and going. And, and so since 1950, when we put this power grid in place, it has actually grown. We use 13% more energy today than we did in 1950. Say that so again, William, because the myth use, is we're using less. We use 13% more today than we did in 1950 when we erected the grid. And, and the reason for that is, is we continually build, continually build. Everybody now has entertainment centers, uh, computers, uh, we, I mean, just everything. But... Uh, he brought up another real fascinating point about EMPs, and I want to touch on that just for a minute, electromagnetic pulse. And uh, China has already built a weapon, supposedly, that can do that to us. That's where an explosion up in the air can, can take out our power, and it takes it out with electromagnetic pulse. The same thing happens with the sun. The sun throws off a solar flare. It can shut us down without power. So there's there, anything that's electronic that's running at the time when an EMP goes off will not run. And Done. that's, it's that's factual. Yeah, just yeah. like in Ocean's Eleven. Yeah, well, exactly. I, I, exactly. I was thinking of sci-fi and some movies that yeah. I'd seen, and but the reality is science fiction come true because it is a real issue, right? Right. Oh, it's it's a real issue. And again, I could take I could take somebody like John and speak for hours and and uh, hours on end about what's going on with our electrical grid. 
you know, what we're doing with it. Are we going to, uh, is it going to be part of an infrastructure package? It really needs to be. Our government has been looking at the power grid for 20 years. We've been talking about, about hacking it, about everything, and, and nothing's been done. So, so what about people, you know, uh, oh, my gosh, you know, everything's more efficient today. Our, our refrigerators are more efficient. Our furnaces are more efficient. Our condensers are more efficient. And yet we're still using more power. Well, I have more of the equipment, so so you know you just start getting more of the more efficient stuff, and then of course the less efficient stuff like uh, Lee and I spoke yesterday. The, the, you know they want to replace a refrigerator with a new more efficient refrigerator, and we take the old one, put it out in the garage. Now now what did we do? <laughs> Plug it back in. Yeah. Yeah. So so the doctor the, Joe has to answer questions the, about those every Saturday and Sunday. The proof in the pudding is put an amp probe on, or or you know today we have uh, metering devices like I showed you yesterday. I have a metering device on my phone. It tells me what's on, when it's on, how much it's using. I know everything about what's going on, and I can look at it from the studio or I can look at it from home or anywhere I'm at, I can pull it up and look and at you it. You know, to reinforce what you say, uh, our friends uh, Eric and Mike Bratcher at Bratcher Electric, Electric will tell us that they are constantly upgrading the services in older homes mm -hmm. to accommodate, I mean, even the microwave. Yeah. I mean, even though that's arguably old technology, houses didn't have them in the 50s when, those, when they were built. And they didn't have, need that separate circuit, that separate twenty amp circuit for a microwave. In a in a nineteen fifties home, you'll find one circuit in the whole the whole kitchen, and that's to operate the coffee pot, the toaster oven, the microwave, the, the refrigerator. It, it's all on one twenty amp circuit. <laughs> I don't think about so. That. So you know, when I remodeled the, the house that was built in nineteen fifty, the house I lived in prior to this one. I, uh, I put in 10 circuits across the countertop and in the, in the refrigerator. Of course, code now calls for a right. lot of circuits in the, in the you know, kitchen. I think it's 220 amp to service just the appliances. Mm -hmm. and, then, and then we always put a separate one microwave, separate one refrigerator. Separate. It has to be. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, of course, your stove, depending on what it is, may or may not. Uh, but Well, yeah. and, and that's the other thing, and I'm going to be... In politically incorrect here, this fantasy of going to an all-electric nation, um, and that's exactly what it is. It is a fantasy. I was thinking about that when Pat was talking. Okay, so that? why would you do it? How do you do it? Well, that, here's the first thing: we can't meet the demand. Okay, you've seen that in California. You've seen, and we talked about some of the reasons for the blackouts and brownouts in California. Um, we have to build more generating plants, okay? We have to have standby generators for power, all right, when the load gets too great. Um, and the grid, at, as, it's con as it's built right now and designed right now, it's not intended to handle that much electricity demand. It just isn't. I was thinking air conditioning even. It used to be that we opened the windows when it got hot. Or we we went used to build basement. new homes without air conditioning. I mean, yeah, that was yeah. very common in the 70s and 80s. You didn't have air conditioning. There's not a home today that I'm aware of that's being built that doesn't have air conditioning. Yeah, so think of the draw on the grid there. And I and I think of that, we can't even, and I'm, I'm not being political here, but we literally cannot fix the roads and bridges we've got. How the heck are don't, we going to fix it? Don't forget the dams. Well, you know, boy, we were talking about yeah. that yesterday on break as well. Uh, you know, so the infrastructure issues loom large, to say the least, right? Yeah. And, and I still think natural gas is a great savior. How about solar? Is solar a reasonable alternative? Path? You're looking at me. Okay. Well, I know that you've purchased it three yeah. times that I'm aware of. Yeah, actually, we used to install it. My, and you my, did yeah. install it as well. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's a it's a great uh, great thing. It's getting to be less popular. Not well, I shouldn't say less popular. It's actually more popular, but less rebate. So the tax would, incentives. Yeah, aren't would there. anybody buy solar if you didn't have a tax incentive? Absolutely not. It's a losing proposition without the government kicking in thirty okay. percent, and and now they're kicking in twenty six. Like electric cars. Yeah. Right. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. So if the if we the government if we didn't subsidize it, you would never buy it. Solar is a great product. It was invented by people that smoke pot. That's where it came from. Out in California, where they, they the were, old Mother Earth news. No, that's, that's a true story. That's where solar oh, was invented at. We but anyway, another break. I have 20K at my house. Whole Earth catalog. Hold that thought. When the toilet doesn't flush or, or the water's leaking out of a pipe, 
uh, man, who do you call? And, and everybody, you know, I think experiences stress and fear if they don't have somebody they trust. So we're going to bring you Anthony Borelli and Z Plumbers of Livonia. Want to make sure you have this phone number on your refrigerator if you ever need a plumber. And hopefully talk about some of the things that uh, may be a part of your life in the next few months as we come into spring. Anthony, are you with us? I am. Good morning, gentlemen. How are you? We are wonderful. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to be with us. Tell our listeners a little bit about Z Plumbers. Z Plumbers is a local company. We are the corporate store for Belfour. Uh, We're based out of Livonia. We also now have offices in Ann Arbor, Monroe, uh, Downriver, and Northern Oakland County. So if you're not in the Livonia area, you can find a Z Plumber pretty much anywhere southeast Michigan. So you're covering southeast Michigan. That's good to know. I appreciate that. And then the range of plumbing services, both commercial, industrial, and residential? We cover it all. Yeah, we go from, we finished schools in this past year. We've done schools down Detroit to coffee shops, to residential homes, um, apartments. Yeah, we, we get our hands in everything. We got, in our Livonia office, we have 18 guys and 12 trucks. So we are more than capable of handling uh, pretty much anything that can be thrown our way. Okay, we're coming into uh, one of the wet seasons here in Michigan. i got to believe that a lot of people, uh, the out-of-sight, out-of-mind sump pump uh, could be an issue. Uh, What is Z Plumber's perspective on sump pumps and maybe even backup sumps? Sump pumps are like the underappreciated appliance of the household, that is for sure. It's something that you most people do not pay attention to until they fail. And then at that point, it's uh, without a backup, you are dealing with a bunch of water in your basement that needs to be taken care of. Um, yeah, sump pumps and backup pumps are, if you have a ba- finished basement, a backup pump is probably the best investment you can make to finish, uh, to protect that investment. Uh, we always tell our customers, if you install a backup pump and that thing turns on once with the finished basement, that thing is more than paid for itself, probably 10 times over in all honesty. Oh, my um, gosh, yes. Yeah. We, you know, I'm just thinking in, of the uh, restoration experts we're going to have on from 12 to 1 today, EGH Construction. I'm sure John Hale, if he's listening, is shaking his head. Yep, that's so true. Probably not the head, yeah. I mean, um, walking into a basement, a finished basement with carpet and furniture and all the electronics that uh, go down there walking into a basement with four to eight inches of water is never a fun experience um and if we can avoid that we definitely want to do everything we can to help those homeowners out so so anthony what kind of a backup system would you genuinely uh, generally suggest to people well anybody on city water we always suggest a water operated backup pump if you're on a well that's obviously not going to work um, if the power goes out, it's not going to be working. So for somebody on a well system, um, you know, we op- offer a battery operated pump, but if, if you're on city water, highly recommend a water operated backup pump. Um, water's never going to stop working. So it, it works. Um, there's a high pressure zone in there that creates suction and pumps the water out. So what we do when we install one of those, is we actually run a totally separate discharge line to the outside of the house. That way, we're, it's a totally separate system from your primary pump. Um, if that backup pump kicks on, you're going to know it, and you're going to see it pumping the water to the side of the house or to the back of the house. And then you can give Z plumbers a call, and we'll come out and take care of your primary pump and get you back up and running. How about alarms, Anthony, on those systems? Yep, yep. So those alarms go from a battery setup, um, all the way up to ones that work on your home's, home's Wi-Fi. And if your primary pump fails, we can set it in there to a certain height, and it will actually send you a text message that your primary pump is, work, is not working and uh, help you save you from having a flood in your basement. So now, Z plumbers are also, you guys are sewer and drain experts as well. Can you talk to that yeah. a little bit? Yeah, if you're on, um, if you have a storm sewer, you have a storm system, um, and not a sump pump, you know, there's cleanouts that need to be taken care of periodically, especially in the older homes, um, as far as snaking those out and getting everything flowing well. Um, if you are on a sump system, 
it's a good idea to have somebody come on out and clean those up periodically because those will build up with a hard iron deposit on the inside. And we'll yeah we'll, we've seen we that. Them, yeah, it's it's it turns into you'll have a three inch discharge line underground, and you will actually see those to where you can barely fit a pencil through them. They build up with iron that quick in some homes. So so you do recommend periodic maintenance and inspection of those. Yep. Yep. Whenever we go and install a backup pump or a primary pump in a house, our guys will go around to where the sump pump line discharges, and we will make sure that it's actually flowing out there. Because um, sometimes you'll see where that water just comes out of the overflow tube of your discharge line. That tells you that you have a backup in the main line going out. So. I love that. Then how about backflow preventers? Because we get the heavy rains and the floods. Is that something Z plumbers can help with? It is. Yep. Yep. Backwater valves. Absolutely. Um, speaking of backflow preventers, on your backup sump pump, um, those really should have a backflow prevention device on them. Uh, it's called an RPZ, and it doesn't allow any contaminated water back into the system. And that's something that we offer along with our um, backup pumps that we install in all of them. And Z plumbers can also install one of those for our sewer, our storm sewer, and our uh, sanitary sewer. That's correct. Yep. Anytime that is awesome. for a sanitary sewer, anytime you're adding, a lot of people add basement bathrooms to their basement. Um, and anytime you're adding a fixture that's below the manhole height, you definitely, uh, two codes should be adding a backwater valve. And that keeps the sanitary sewer backing up into your basement. And then just basic maintenance. If if I've got issues, I want to do a faucet change out in the kitchen or put a new toilet in or any of that type of thing, Z Plumbers can handle that for me? We can handle it all. Yes, we do. I love to know that. And how do people get hold of you, Anthony? They can call us at 833-800-654-1300. It's been a long time. It's been at least a year, guys, right? Yeah. yeah it feels, feels longer than that. And I like sharing you guys with our listeners, I, and I mean that in, in the best of ways. I, you guys bring so much to the table, and, and we just got to find time maybe in the next five, six months to do it again. Seriously. Sure. I, uh, I appreciate it. It means a lot to us. Anyway, um, before we went to break, we kind of cut, cut you off on some... Oh, that's, that's okay. <laughs> but the whole solar thing. Solar is a wonderful product, yes? Yes. Uh, and it's advanced just unbelievably so in the last 20 years gone crazy it's just right now it's one of those where the return on investment isn't there if it's not a subsidized product is that oh absolutely it's a 20-year payback if it's not subsidized and if they subsidize it then you're down to about 11-year payback um so again it's what we talked about yesterday the return on investment and and that means everything so how long a life i'm sorry pat but i just have to follow how long a life would you think your solar panels have that you've put in well they claim 40 years i don't know that uh, sure and and i haven't there's no history to prove that but they claim 40 years um and and they dte or consumers energy uh, it's changing what they're doing, so that's going. That's going we to change. We predicted that a long time ago. Well, that's what going do you to change. Mean change. Well, here's here, here's <laughs> what happens with me right now, currently, and and two homes that I wait. Have. Go back ten years. Uh, well, ten years ago, we probably wouldn't have been talking too much about solar. But anyways, um, yeah, we would. I yeah, think we, we talked. Yeah, we talked about. So solar. you put solar in ten years ago. You were hooked up to consumers or DTE. DTE. I was hooked up to. They and bought my Rex and gave me money for, they for Rex. They bought your what? Yeah, they're called they're Rex. But anyways, they, they don't do that anymore. Well, but. no, but let's talk about that because it, it, it kind of sets us up for where we go with the future. Back then, if you generated extra power in a month. Yep. You, what happens is you, we do, what I did was what they call net metering. So I don't do battery racks. So net metering means you turn your battery backwards. Ian, your meter goes back. your your meter. I'm sorry, your meter goes backwards. Now, what what happens is Rex, and I, I don't remember what Rex meant, but what Rex did was we were they the state was required to have so many kilowatts of solar in a year. They they had to generate solar or any kind of renewable energy. You had to have a wreck. and so what DTE would because they didn't want to put up all the solar themselves, they would actually give you some money. Actually, up front, they paid me 
money for 5KW, they, they gave me $3,500 up front. They financially they don't do encouraged that. you to install solar. Yeah, and then they'd give you a separate meter, and if you had any runovers, you'd, you could see it on the meter. And it was really a, a slick outfit. That's all kind of changed now. So <laughs> now we, we still have net metering. You still turn your meter backwards. And, and, and again, let me back up just a minute. So what happens is DTE would buy energy for, let's just say, 10 cents a kilowatt hour and they sell it to you for 15 cents a kilowatt hour so that's gross and net blah 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 so anyways they sell it to you for uh, uh increased so they make a little money on sure it. and a whole lot of things went on with dt and, and if i was talking to john he'd be surprised that i even knew what we used to call it user end wheeling but it's it was um it's where they regulated what dte could do as far as um bringing in electricity and stuff but um anyways so they would pay me when my when I'm turning my meter backwards, I'm getting paid fifteen cents a kilowatt hour. So you're giving them power, right? And they're paying you what they were retail. charging you, yeah, retail. retail. Yep. So and I'm getting it wholesale, and they're and they're giving me retail okay. because they're cutting my bill off by five k. And that was a few years ago. That was a few years ago, and it's still it, that's my DTE still good. It, it it was good for um, twenty years, and then they kind of renegotiated it and sure. i think in in 2022 i have to go now that what's going to happen is my i have a house in plymouth what's going to happen with that is they go back and and now i get everything i make is now wholesale not retail and trust me i agree with it 100 sure. john if you're listening i agree with it because somebody's got to take care of all the lines somebody's got to do all the work why should i get retail sure. uh, retail on so if you're so, selling them energy back that you right. generated with your solar you're only going to get, get 10 cent kilowatt yeah. instead of 15 cent makes sense and and um consumers isn't there yet dte's there believe it or not dte has more customers than consumer and consumer covers a much bigger area but dte covers all the high you know Detroit. my prediction so, is and 13 years ago it was that this was going to be diminishing eventually go away and at some point, even if you are 100% off the grid and you're generating your own power, there's going to be some way, some shape, some form that you're going to have to pay money, <laughs> to a monthly DT. bill, yeah. to the utility company. I won't even name any. <laughs> well, and, and, I, and I don't know. Um, it's I'm like pretty much a piece of land. You know? I'm pretty much free of it now, my energy bills. But I have 20 sure. kW, and it turns my meter backwards, and, I, and my whole house is run on electric. I now, have you geotherm. Have 20 kW. Yep. What would a typical house need? 10. 10? Yeah. Okay. 10, you can get away with 10. And then if you're using battery storage, you could use even, you know, right, right, 10 would be a, 10's a good number. So is battery storage there yet in terms of affordability, return no, on investment? Well, no, it's, no, it is not. I, I think not. And I'm not sure it's ever going to get there. But here's the thing with solar. There's nothing renewable about solar. Uh, it, I always called it, and you've heard me say this, a rich man's welfare. So if, if I can afford to put it in, the government gave me 30% of it back. Now I'm down to a six-year payback or a seven-year payback on what I use. So it made it worth your while. It made it worth my while, but but it was because I could afford it. And if you can't afford it, that's a hefty sum to pay. And, of course, I did it myself. So right. you'd have an 11-year payback. So if, you, if, if your idea of making money is you get a 20-year contract and you pay for it in 11 years and then you got nine years of – you know, you assuming you sure. get nine years assuming of energy and everything works, um, that's it's a good investment. But you say it's not renewable because well, what it, what I mean is it is renewable. It takes energy. It takes the sunlight. But what if the sun's not shining? What if what happens if you invest, you know, forty thousand dollars and a volcano goes off like Mount St. Helens again, and we have cloudy days? What are you going to do? You know, what are you going to do? And the yeah. same thing with wind. If or the wind's not blowing like and you got every a wind. night, for instance. Right. Or. So, yeah. <laughs> so in a, in a wind turbine, same thing with that. If the wind's not blowing, what are you going to do? You know, how are we going to make energy? Well, so, and there's, a, there's another issue around this, okay? And by the way, I'm going to put in a plug right now for nuclear power. If I've you been want an advocate a of a safe, Shame on you guys. Shame on you if guys. If you want a safe, non-polluting source of electricity that's reliable it's nuclear power and i know that people out there who've heard me say oh we're going to kill everybody with the leftover radiation well so you put in solar people like you <laughs> good honest ethical people hard working 
Salt of the earth. Why in my 80 by 38 ranch did they put the furnace at the far end of the basement or the water tank at the far end of the basement or whatever? Why are you complaining? Because you got to walk that far? <laughs> or you don't do the maintenance. I forgot. You know Christina what? does, right? I get to critique this stuff. I don't have to worry about being responsible. But it is one of those things where, you know, it's like, geez, you know, the, the furnace kicks on and it's got to move that heat, you know, through 80 lineal feet to that far room or the bathroom is 80 feet away from the water heater. I step in the shower and, you know, I've got that, that dead space in the pipe that's full of cold water. Why is that done, and are there any solutions for us? Well, just for just for um, sake of saying, I would guess that's for. I, I always try to get it out of the middle of the floor. You think it's bad at the one end or the other. Put it in the middle and see what you think. <laughs> you know, it, it just really takes up way too much room if you're putting a furnace. If you're talking Trying about a floor plan in the basement, you mean? If yeah, you're anything you're doing with a floor plan at all. And so we put it at the other end, and you size your ducking accordingly so you've got static pressure. You actually start from the farthest room out and work your way back. That's, that's the way you design. duct sizing, too. Yeah, right that's now. the way you die. That's, you know, you got to use a duct later, and you figure it all out. You, you know, how much are you starting with and what goes out to the end room and how many CFM you use, and, and you keep the static pressure. So there really is science to well, yeah, duct it's, yeah, sizing in those absolutely. houses? Absolutely. Because a lot of people don't yeah. think there is. Yeah. And, and then um, the variable speed on that furnace will make up any problems that you have where Susie's bedroom at 80 feet down the way, you know, if you like you and you have an 80-foot-long home, you got 80, you got 80 feet uh, of ductwork running down there. Variable speed continues to run, and it'll keep that temperature perfect down in, in uh, Susie's bedroom. So. Okay, you say that about a furnace, but you can't do it with a water heater, can you? Well, you can, and, and, uh, and it's just fascinating because i i just can't i could sell this all day long and lee you need to hear this because this is great stuff typically when you get in a shower it it's you know you, you let it run and run and run and it just drives me crazy Turn on the so, hot water but it's not hot yeah it's cold and so so i was going to put in a recirc line and i did a little um, due diligence on it and i ended up being able to buy and I think at the time it was like two fifty. A recircling. A recircling. Come on, come down to the level. Re of people recirculating. Like Chuck. Well, you take you take the the cold water out of the line and recircle it with hot water. So, you, but you have to run a, a a recirculating line all the way eighty feet in your home. You'd have to run eighty feet down, <laughs> down to the to your shower and, and recirc recirculate that water. So, so, it, so basically, you're recirculating it twenty four seven. Yeah, well, here's so here's you've a, always got hot water in the line. Right? That that is correct. But here's here's what Watts did. Watts, uh, and and I'm sure there's other ones, but I bought a Watts after I did my. Now that's due a brand diligence. name for the pump. Yeah, that's a brand name for the pump. It's a little research pump that you can put right on the top of your hot water heater. And now my hot water heater has, I have flexible uh, shark bites, so it was real simple to do it. Just you put use this the PEX in. Type. And, yeah. What what'd you pay for that Watts pump? I I, I think at the I think at the time it was like two fifty, but okay. I I looked this morning because I wanted to talk to you about it. Yeah. On the way up here, they're one seventy seven. Okay. And and it's got a little timer on it. Inline so, pump, just a. Here's what happens. You, it's got a little bypass that you put at your farthest sink, wherever your farthest sink is, and you go from the hot to the cold water, and then you set your timer. And I I set mine from seven to eight at night because I take a shower seven eight o'clock at night. And then I set it for 3 to 5 in the morning because somewhere between 3 and 5, I take another shower. And, and my hot water tank is probably 50 feet away. I don't have as big a home as you do, but probably about 50 <laughs> feet away. Uh, but anyways, if you don't have this thing, and, and I accidentally bumped it off the other day, and, and – uh, in the panel, I was working in a panel wiring a new furnace I put in. But anyways, I, I bumped that off, and I get in the shower in a couple of days, and I go, God, it's taken so long. I went down and looked, and it was shut off. And I'm here to tell you, I set it back up. I run that recirculating pump for four hours out of the day, two hours at night, two hours first thing in the Just morning. Just before you shower each Just time. before I shower. And when I get in that, or if I go to the sink and turn on the hot water, instant hot water. 
Yep. It's it's just incredible that you can do that for under $200. And and I would think, you know, I live in a country where I'm on well water, but if I think that if you lived in a city, you'd probably actually have a payback. Now, is that is that pump a cord and plug connected? Yes, pump? it is. Well, 110, I had a 110 plug right next to my hot you know, Well, I put one in, a 110 plug right there. And it, it literally, I already had the plug there, but it literally took me half hour to put this pump in and put the piece underneath the far sand. So in other words, it, it, it has some place to push that water. It pushes it up through the hot and back through the cold, back to the hot water. So you didn't have to run a separate piece No, of no, pipe. you didn't have to run a separate line. And I was going to do it because I thought, well, I just got to do this. I got to have that. That's that's the state-of-the-art stuff. Yeah. But if you're in an existing home that doesn't have recircling and you get tired of turning on the shower and waiting for it to get warm, sure, get one of those circ pumps, $170. I imagine you could have it put in for 400 maybe 500 with the electrical. Sure. And I always think that's important, especially the aging in place stuff, you know, where, where uh, mom, grandpa, grandma, or us, <laughs> we get in there, and you don't want to be standing there in the cold air. Well, yeah, with, you work your whole life. It's kind of nice to have hot water on demand, When you right? want it. When you want it, you turn it on, you got it. And, and of course, the myth is that demand water heaters give you hot water at the point of use instantly but they don't unless yeah. they're right there unless you got a research on it. you know something we did years ago in houses uh before we thought of the research issue was to take uh like maybe in your bathroom we would put a small electric hot water heater in mm. the closet right there point on of a timer. point of use yeah, yeah, yeah right at the point of use on a timer so it would do what you just said it would heat up before that morning shower heat up before that evening shower and that's the only time it, and then it shut off for the rest of the day and that was an inexpensive way to handle that back then. This is even cheaper yet. Oh, I, I yeah. just bought a point-of-use hot water heater for my pole structure. I've got a little sink down there, and I bought – it's a little on-demand. Now, is that a demand use. unit, though? Yeah. yeah. Those are pricey. Yeah, they're, they're, they're not cheap. I mean, yeah. I, I bought the research pump a lot cheaper. Yeah, you could buy a little electric uh, water heater for, for nothing, you know, right. throw away money. It's not a demand unit. It would have to kick on a little early. But yeah. on the code, you know, you spent a great part of your life – Lobbying on behalf of builders, so basically on behalf of homeowners. Exactly. To make housing, keep it safe, but make sure it doesn't get stupid and totally beyond the... It's, we can't be the boy in the bubble because then only three people would own houses, right? That is correct. So what, are your, so what are some of what you consider success stories for things that were proposed in the code or maybe put in the national code, but you kept them out of Michigan and still felt you preserved the safety well, let's start with this basic, that, that there's a balance in the code between safety and cost. Always. Give me an example. Always. Give me okay. an example. Uh, sprinklers would be a great example. Okay. Uh, Why but, the heck aren't they required in every yeah, home? The, because uh, according to the National Fire Protection Association, um, 99. I want to say 85, but I'll have to be checked on that. People who have a fire in their house escape if they have a working smoke alarm. Rather than needing? Rather than needing sprinklers. Okay. And sprinklers are expensive, uh, particularly when you're not in a city, uh, particularly when you're not on water. When you start looking at the, uh, we had a cost, uh, and admittedly this is at the uh, far end, we had a cost for a person of $36,000 on a sprinkler quote for his house. Because he was living out in the country, um, he was going to have to have the tank up in his attic because he was in a cold climb. He was going to have to have a backup generator. Um, it was it was just a mess. And now, would all sprinkler systems be a liquid system today in a house? All residential sprinklers will be a liquid system. Okay, today water in a system house. or I, it's a water system for the most part. Okay, yeah. Your 13Ds. Now, are they all zoned today? I hope you don't mind me asking. I can't tell you if they're typically. zoned or not, to be honest, but I would expect that they are. Okay. Okay. Because the um, concern was, obviously, if... I, one went off, they all went off. Well, not only that, house. but as a 12-year-old male, yeah. you guys used to be that hundreds of years yeah. ago. You'd have been that curious boy, wouldn't you? Yeah. What if this will go off, lighting a match or... Or know. hitting it with a stick or oh, something. God. Yeah, you, you know. see. Oh, Hollow fight. Yeah. Dad would have beat us to oh. an inch of our lives, but we'd have done it. But the other thing is that when you make a house safer uh, and you raise the cost of the house beyond what, what ordinary 
people can afford. Sure. Um, you make them live in demonstrably unsafer housing. Okay, because they can't afford the new house with so all you're the you bells drive and whistles. Them to- you're driving them to buy a, a house that may have been built in 1910. Uh, to the code then has never been upgraded and doesn't have all the safety features that the new house does. Each edition of the code adds about $10,000 to the cost of a home, each new edition. Uh, wow. Yeah. And so, I mean, we, we look at things from two perspectives. Uh, our biggest thing is affordability and cost of a home. And is it necessary? Uh, arc fault circuit interrupters. Now, uh, explain what, what those I are. I was just for, going to do that. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so an arc <laughs> you fault. You don't have to yell at me. I'm not yelling yet. <laughs> uh, no, arc fault circuit interrupters are a uh, device that are intended to stop arcing from electrical wires starting any fires. Okay. And uh, they're fairly expensive. Um there was a proposal uh, that put them on all bedrooms uh, that got through. And uh, then there was a proposal to extend them to all circuits in the house. Uh, when that proposal got through, it was some terribly inaccurate uh, statements about the number of fires and fire deaths in Michigan caused by arcing. So we went to what is called the the fire incident reporting system that is done nationally by the U.S. Fire Administration. And what we found out is from arcing fires, you have about 26 to 29 a year. In Uh, the nation? In the state of Michigan. I only work on the state of Michigan. Just want to make sure people understand. State of Michigan. Okay. Okay. Of those, um, you have total property and content damage of under a million dollars for those 29 fires. Uh, This is 13 years of uh, data. It was two injuries and one potential death um, that they attributed to that. That was up in uh, Iron Mountain. And uh, they said it was an arcing fire, but uh, we don't know if he had a working smoke alarm or not, and he did die of smoke inhalation. Now, the cost of putting these in every year was $6 million. Throughout the state of Michigan. Throughout the state of Michigan for what we were building at that time. So $6 million for a device that has not uh, proven to be necessary. 29 fires out of 3 million some homes. Um, And so those are the sort of things that we we try to prevent. Now, manufacturers don't like this uh, because it, it... they you have a product manuf- to sell. What, what manufacturers no, no. would you be talking about? I w- electrical equipment manufacturers. They okay. love to know that every house has to have. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I, I mean, the the uh, the battle, the upcoming battle this year, uh, is going to be electric car charging stations and electrification of the house. So you mean were, this is an upcoming battle in the this code? Is, this is an upcoming battle in the code here in Michigan. So at the national level. Um, they approved a proposal uh, that would have required electric car charging stations in all houses. Every new house. Yeah, every new house, regardless of whether you had a garage or not. Okay. (laughs) Really? Yeah. I guess I hadn't thought of that perspective. Yeah. (laughs) And then the other one was a uh, future-proofing electrification. So if you were using gas appliances, you had to put in 220 volts, uh, for anything that you were using gas with, uh, next with the to, idea that you would get rid of with the, the gas. idea that we're all going to go to electric, and then if you were using a gas hot water heater, you had to have a three by three by seven spot wired up and ready for an electric hot water heater. Now that was thrown out. I raised the issue that it was uh, outside the scope of the energy code. That was raised at an appeals hearing, and that was found to be true. But Michigan is still, I think, going to take a look at that. Um, Particularly bothersome is the whole electric car charging. Um, It's, as as Pat said, it's it's for the rich people. The the middle class, the lower caste can pay for the rich guy's uh, little electric toys. 
and forgive me all the auto companies and all my friends who actually do have electric vehicles, but the fact is that we sell more hot tubs every year in the state of Michigan than we sell electric cars. Should we now be making sure every new house is wired for a hot tub? That's actually it. Interesting example. Okay. Um, and the answer, I think, would be no. And they're not subsidized, the hot tubs, are they? No, they're not subsidized at all. So, yeah, I mean, there are some things that, that we continue to fight against. And it's nothing against energy efficiency. It's nothing against safety. And it's certainly nothing against electric cars. Anybody who wants one should have one. But they shouldn't be forced to have somebody else put in a car charging station okay, on the grounds yeah. that hey, someday somebody will buy this house and I'll have an electric car. Mr. Kelly. Sir. You had a couple comments, snide con No, I'm kidding. Um, actually, you had a great comment, I thought, regarding the arc fault, and then you had a question for Lee. Well, I'm, I'm a great uh, fan of Lee's and always have been, uh, and, and I just wish you'd find another name instead of lobbying. I'm telling you, it just sends a chill up my back every time we call him a lobbyist. Well, it's executive yeah, vice president for governmental yeah, but affairs. I can't, I can't write all that. I can't <laughs> put that on a loan application. <laughs> but so it's just a good guy. That's what he is. You have to understand that I am the living embodiment of the U.S. Constitution. Yeah, whatever. The right That's to why you're so... The right to peacefully... Petition the government for redress of grievances. That's me. Whatever. Wow. That's that's essentially wow. what any lobbyist does. That's a good uh, lobbyist. Just so you repeat that. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, my comment was we we were talking about uh, uh, arc fault and arc fault's just just been a thorn. As you know, in my past experience, we used to put in a lot of generators or we would wire homes. Where um, I was. Uh, past owner of mechanical electrical companies and and uh, arc fault was just a, a pain every time we would put a a whole house in or we would have to upgrade to arc fault to the bedrooms all the bedrooms and although i somewhat believed in arc fault in the bedrooms um they wanted to come out the state wanted to come out it was a state code that was coming out that said that they wanted to put them in all rooms of the house every every circuit in the panel had to be put in. The, the cost difference was a cost of a breaker is $4. A cost of an arc fault breaker was $78. Now, where do you think I'm going to, what do you think I'm going to do with that cost up tick? Wow. That's going to go to the, that's, and it, it takes a little longer to put, put one in. Yeah. Not much longer, but a little longer. You've got to pay somebody to do that. And our guys are making $30 an hour plus Benny. So what do you think that's, where do you think that money and is going to go? Let me, your cost was, was $79? Yeah, $78. Yeah. $78. So, I mean, obviously, you're not going to sell it for, I mean, it costs you more Wait, than that to get it on the job site. Yeah, yeah. It really does. So, yeah, it's just a, it's just a mess. When I would imagine on a normal home, and let's say that the normal home is a 200 amp 40 panel, and that's typically what it is. Um, you're looking at, you're looking at probably $3,000 uptick on wow. that. So, so appreciate the perspective. Yeah, and then, and then if it's not arc fault, it's got to be ground fault, and that used to be a nightmare. That's getting a little better now that you can put a plug on. Used to be you have to put a breaker in. Um, so, anyways, yeah, it's it's uh, it was just one of those things that Lee did for us uh, that, and they wanted all of the ducks um, hard hard piped for returns in a house, and that was just. Um, that was just going to be. That was going to add on three to eight thousand dollars on a standard home. Any benefit? Not, not that I could see. Okay. Not that I could see. In fact, returns are really a, 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 a elusive thing. A return, you're allowed to undercut your doors in a lot of places and just put pass through grills. Oh, that and used you can, to be the way it was done, and yeah. shag carpet kind of stopped all that. Right. Well, <laughs> and that's why we came out with arc fault with shag carpet because a kid could be in a bedroom. Start a fire and you wouldn't know it. You yeah, die in a bedroom. So, uh, but anyways, so um, yeah, no, the return that. the return wasn't a big deal. So the way we have returns now, I think it's a great way to do it. Um, if I thought it was a better way of doing it, that's what I would and do. And you and you're basically saying by using a stud cavity that's got drywall on right. either face of the stud, right. drywall and, and or tin just... or or you know we tin downstairs. A lot of people use cardboard, but we use tin. So we yeah we just using the cavities to bring your return back to your okay uh, and then you had a question for Lee uh, what was it I'm, old age <laughs> what was that question do you remember it'll come back to you okay good. <laughs> that's why God made paper and pen 
I, uh, Do I sound like your brother? I, I could spend uh, many I hours know. talking to Lee about the what's coming to what's coming tomorrow. What can we expect to see tomorrow in the new codes that they're trying to pass? Actually, that's through. a great question. That's it. What are they proposing now, Lee? That that the Home Builders Association might fight on behalf of home buyers. Now, which one really grabs you? Well, you mentioned to me R sixty in the as, as always. It's the energy code. Okay. All right. Are you anti-energy efficiency, Lee? Oh, no, 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 no. Are um, the builders anti-energy efficiency? Absolutely not. And I know those are leading questions, and I thank you for them. But the, the fact is that Michigan has a law, and we're one of the, I think we might be the only state, there might be one more, that says on the energy code that all of the energy code changes have to individually pay back in seven day or seven years the cost of the change in reduced energy usage. Wow, that's cool. All right. Now, and were you guys responsible for that being yes, a provision? Yes, yes, we, we were. See, people don't know about that. And know. you still have, I mean, we're flexible with it. There have been a couple of things that are 10-year payback. We thought, yeah, this is good. This will work. Like what? Um, there was an increase in sealing uh, insulation early on. Yeah, that was a 10-year payback, but that was okay. Is windows. that when we went to an R49? Uh, yeah, okay. windows, okay. Windows uh, increasing the uh, uh, stringency the of windows, the U-value, which is the R reciprocal. Uh, but it basically, it's you know how, uh, how heat-resistant or cold-resistant your windows are. Uh, we were fine with that, all right? Major window manufacturers were making that change. So we're not zealots, but... The intent lately in the last two cycles with the energy code has been to put together an energy code so that all homes, new homes built in Michigan, are net zero net energy by 2030. Now, it's okay. interesting because we started talking about what we called net zero yeah. homes maybe Same thing. 20, 25 years ago. And here was the idea back then. It was, if I, like Pat Kelly, I've got a, some solar, huh? uh, maybe I'm, I, I'm, Fred over here's got a wind turbine, and whatever I generate myself will offset whatever I buy from the utilities, so at the end of the year, it's zero. Has that changed? Yes, okay. because manufacturers are not big fans of renewable energy. <laughs> Manufacturers of? Of building supplies. And insulation product, products? Uh, insulation products, other windows, uh, other things, okay. And so they have found ways to make sure that uh, their products have to be used. For example, the, there are really three ways to, to figure out your energy. The easiest way that most people that aren't custom builders are is you use a prescriptive path. It tells you what your R value is for what components, and as long as you build to that, you're fine. And this is, this is literally a series of predetermined formulas that I can use if I'm going to build a house. I will apply those formulas to the materials and processes that I'm going to use to arrive at my energy consumption for that proposal. Right, house. it's not even a formula. For example, if you're building down here in the Metro Detroit area, it's an R38 in the ceiling. Okay, it's a R20 in your walls. Or you can do R13 plus five continuous insulation on the outside. Literally prescriptions. Yes, for those exactly. Parts of the house. Same things. What your ceilings are. Ceilings, as I said, are 38, 49 in the rest of Michigan. Those are going up to 60. But that's, that's the way you do it. Well, now, even though it was rejected at uh, two of the sessions, um, you have to add another 5% in energy efficiency through a list of ways that will be in the code. Um, ICC, the International Codes Council, has said that we are within 10% right now of reaching the goal of net zero energy homes. But does that really mean, I mean, really, in context, the house will use energy? Well, sure, the house will still use energy. So yep. how does the net zero thing or zero net, I mean, what does that even mean? <laughs> So it's projected. I, those who those who can't see on the radio, I just shrugged. It's projected to yeah. 
be called that, yeah. but the reality is you're going to use energy. Yeah, right. I have a big question about the payback. Yeah, the mechanical ventilation, um, uh, the, the seven-year payback. And first off, I, I want to preface it that by saying I really appreciate all that you've ever done for fighting to keep that kind of stuff in check. But I look at this ventilation, and it drives me crazy. They want you to do all this insulation is, is mandatory. We have to have mandatory here, mandatory there. And then you mandatory have to bring in six inches of outside air, and you got to heat it, and you got to cool it. And, and to me, it, it doesn't make any sense at all. It doesn't make any sense. Now, I understand the tighter you get to home, the more ventilation you have to bring in mm -hmm. as you get older. But every time I open my door at home, and I walk in and out of my house a hundred times. I'm bringing in fresh air. So, help me with that, will you? I can't. <laughs> oh, good. Because I'm I don't know what the payback is going to oh. be on that. Oh, okay. We we are going to look at it. Okay. We generally, uh, the home builders have a study done to look at the cost uh, effectiveness of all the changes in the energy code. Um, I remember and, working with you on back, that back in 1993. Yeah. Or four. Yeah. Wow. Exactly. That's when we started doing this. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I can't. I, I really can't. I was looking tell you for something more is. profound than that. I, I thought maybe you could dig in your head and I, tell no, them something. No, I don't. You know? I don't have anything more profound than that. I can tell you that <laughs> to do the wiring and to do the electrification bit that we talked about and wiring for cars is about two thousand dollars a home. Wow. Okay. And by the end of March, I should have a. Uh, uh, breakdown of all the new things and the costs beyond the energy code, but some of the other things that they're doing. But as a rule, mostly it's it's mostly been energy lately. Uh, yeah, it's. I was it, going to ask you what the rise mostly, in cost of homes was. Mostly energy. Okay. Last thirty years. -ish. Yeah. And um, you know that's that's why this only applies to the energy code, the seven year payback and. Uh, there's more to it than that. You still have to qualify to buy the home after the energy savings have been put in than before. You still have to qualify for the mortgage. The mortgage can't be more. The insurance can't be more. Okay. Um, so we'll see what happens. Part of this, again, uh, I am retiring as of the 5th of May. Yeah, I hate to hear that. You're giving up the good fight. So No, I'm not giving We're up the good gonna fight. We're still going to bring you back, though. I, I oh, still... that's fine. You yeah. still have your finger in the pie. Uh, a little bit. Um, but I've got good people who are, are going to replace me. Don Crandall's moving up to my spot. Forced Wall from the Building Industry Association of Southeastern Michigan is going to be working for Our us full time. Yep. So. On March 1, he's going to be doing, or April 1, he's going to be doing the codes. I'll be around there to help him. But uh, yeah, it's a, it's a constant fight, and people don't understand. Their eyes glaze over when you talk about codes or how they get there, but they don't understand what it does to affordable, obtainable. You know, it's funny. I remember housing. the R2000 program that the Canadian government instituted back in the 80s, was mm -hmm. it? And the objective was to find ways to build energy-efficient homes that you know would be easy to heat because we were going into global cooling at the time, so we were told. Do you remember that, Lee? Oh, yes, I do indeed. And I remember they, they literally, uh, they, were, they were subsidizing builders to experiment building homes, yep. and they found that literally they could build a home shell, a shell that could be heated with the old incandescent light bulbs mm -hmm. and the people living in the, in the structure. Yeah. They, they could build it so efficiently. But then you had all these ancillary issues, cost, <laughs> affordability, yeah. and, of course, health, healthy air. Yeah. yeah I mean... Because we found, I think, in the late 90s-ish, that some of the states that bought into the, the new code requirements real too quickly yeah. were building contaminated homes. The yeah. builders were building to the new standard, and then people were getting sick in the homes, and the homes were covered with... I remember walking into homes that were covered in mold. Well, and one of the things that's happened in the energy code in particular is that manufacturers have been able to reduce the flexibility in how you meet the energy code. They've made certain things mandatory no matter which of the three available paths you take to get to energy efficiency. You also have to do these things. And oddly enough, these things coincide with the use of their products. Now, you know, there's no conflict of interest there because it doesn't conflict with their interests. Uh, however, I mean, some of them might sell caulk or uh, spray yeah. foam or well, whatever. Well, you know, it's, it's, it's a wide, Is just it? about every manufacturer okay. tries to use the code to sell their product. Okay, And, and you can't I, blame them. And ICC is very good at 
um, not letting that happen. All right, uh, and we're very good here in Michigan at not letting that happen. We uh, we have specific language in the law that says that you can't give an advantage to proprietary materials, or not proprietary, to any type of materials. One company wanted it proprietary since there were three different brands of their product being sold, then they could require, its use could be required. Wow, wouldn't that be great okay. to hear that company? So just but for our audience, yes. there's a national code that gets written, an international code, and then Michigan has the right to kind of mold. Or we, uh, we take the 2021 International Residential Code, which was just published two weeks ago, and we will change it here in Michigan to meet our needs and adopt it through the rules promulgation process, which is another way of putting you to sleep at night. But that will be the code for Michigan. And that will be the code for Michigan and for the next three years. And you will do that years. in the interest of maintaining affordability and safety. Well, well, we'll certainly be weighing in on that. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to say we would do that because it's, it's up to the administration. No, but that's your objective. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Um, and, you know, there, there are some good things. There are some bad things that happen in the code. Um, and we'll see, uh, we'll see what the state decides so to do with these. Do you think Michigan will be for or against, or the building industry, for or against the R60 in the attic requirement? Oh, I think R60 is uh, going to be a big fight. Do you? Yeah. I think it's way beyond what we need. That's yep. my personal opinion. Yep. I don't know, Pat, if you weigh in on that or not. No, well, and you stop to think if you're going to put no. You're, you're going to put you're going to put cellulose up there. Okay, now you got a weight problem. Yeah, you do. It's dead weight. Okay, and so yeah, I mean, and and that is, by the way, one of the things about the energy code is you get all these wonderful energy saving ideas, 